Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Stu Baca, and I'm a Gen X grown-up. And I support Gen X grown-up on Patreon. And you should, too, at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me, of course, as always, is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? Wouldn't be a show without Mo. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going, guys? In 1982, faith in the Star Trek franchise was waning. The lackluster performance of 79's motion picture could have marked the end for Kirk, Spock, and company. But just in the nick of time, a second film hit theaters, and it was not only good, but so remarkable that it set box office records and reinvigorated an entire franchise. In this episode, I can see George. He's like, I want to go. I want to go. Let's do it. In this episode, (laughs) we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of one of the best sci-fi films of all time. I didn't say best Star Trek films. I said one of the best sci-fi films (laughs) of all time, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Honestly, you don't even have to put the sci-fi qualifier in it. This is just one of the best films. It's just one of the best films of all time. Hey, we we cannot wait to start talking about this, but first we're going to take a brief detour into the fourth listener mailbag and find out who has written in about the shows we've recently put on the air. And I want to read one from the fourth listener this time around, Butter Spider. Oh, Butter Spider. Yeah, hey. He dropped us a line over on Discord right after the release of our Incredible Hulk backtrack we did just a month or so ago. Yeah. Here is what Butter Spider had to say. Love the episode. I was disappointed to hear George's experience with Lou Ferrigno, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was at Dragon Con that same year that you were. Oh, wow. I went to his panel, and I had a totally different impression of him. His panel was, hands down, the most memorable panel in my 27 years of going to Dragon wow. Con. Wow, wow, wow. That's very <laughs> That's different. That's saying something. Yeah, because I know Butter Spider is a Dragon Con fanatic. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's 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 a devotee. It was 27 years. You see it. There you go. Right? Yes, yeah, right. So he posits maybe it was due to the large audience there, but he was an exceptionally cordial and inspiring speaker. He was very polite to questions, no matter how simple. His story was very inspirational, too. He didn't want to stop taking questions, but the officials had to stop him after he ran over time too much. And that's a very (laughs) different takeaway than what you ran into at the autograph table, George. Yeah, no, that's not the same person. I mean, it feels to me like maybe he was quote unquote on when he was in his panel. Maybe. And maybe so when he was at his table, I think he was definitely off. Mm -hmm. So he has potential to be a warm, cordial guy, but he certainly wasn't for George when he was trying to buy an autograph. So it's good that he's got it in him at least, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. The beast that dwells within him. Everybody can be an actor. (laughs) Everybody can be a jerk. We've got it in us, right? Uh, He says, as for the Hulk, Perigno said he got the Hulk job by pure chance. He was scrawny as a kid and being deaf, he got bullied. So he started bodybuilding because he could do it alone. Mm -hmm. When he got older, he got a job as a carpenter because he could do that without much conversation. Ultimately, a friend got him a job as a set carpenter at the studio and one day he said the guy from the studio approached him for the job of the Hulk. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I'd known that story. We did the backtrack. That's fascinating. That would have been better. Yeah. Uh, He said he was going to turn it down but his mom asked him what did he have to lose by trying so he auditioned and he got the job. (laughs) Wow. Smart mom. Right? Ask your mom and do what she says. The moral of that story. (laughs) (laughs) And don't be a jerk when George wants your autograph. Two morals to that story. Yeah, or you'll get blown up on the show. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing in, Butter Spider. We love that you did. We love it every time the Force listener takes time out of their day to write in and tell us what they thought about the show or any episode that we did. Uh, you dropped us a line on Discord, another great way to reach us. Listen, if you would like your email featured here on the show, just like we did with Butter Spider, hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. We'll read every single one, and most of them, like Butter Spiders, will eventually make the show. All right. The waiting is over. We're now going to get into talking about <laughs> the Wrath of Khan right after this quick break stick around 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show too. It helps more than you know. Somewhere in the darkest reaches of the universe, a battle is about to begin. A battle between good and evil between a warrior and a madman. A battle that will take you from the end of time to the beginning of creation. A battle between the awesome power of the Starship Enterprise and the Wrath of Khan. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, rated PG. Now showing at a theater near you. It is time to talk about the 40th anniversary of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I mentioned before that this wasn't even on the list, and George held us at gunpoint saying this is making the list in 2022. We are doing a show about this. The original film released June 4th in 1982. I'm going to assume you're familiar with Star Trek, but in case you're not familiar with The Wrath of Khan, brief synopsis to get us kicked off. It's a refresher memory. As Admiral James T. Kirk and Captain Spock monitor trainees at Starfleet Academy, a Another vessel from the United Federation of Planets is about to try the planet-creating Genesis device on a seemingly deserted portion of space. In the process, two of Kirk's officers are captured by Khan Noonien Singh, an enemy Kirk thought he'd never see again. Once more, Kirk takes the Enterprise helm where he meets Khan's ship in an intergalactic showdown. And I like that description because there's a lot of stuff in it that drops what's happening. Like we know that there are promotions, that Kirk's an admiral, and we know the crux of the movie, which is not just a random script. It's based on something Star Trek fans already knew about. Oh, I know. Isn't that crazy? Space Seed was an awesome episode from the original Star Trek. I mean, you guys, mm-hmm. right. you've seen it probably a million times, right? And whoever came up with the idea of like, okay, we're going to basically use that for this story. That was a genius move because it just tied like the original Star Trek and modern. And I mean, it was, I thought it was just amazing. Yeah, no kidding. Like, So the, the original Space Seed was the U.S. Botany Bay had been drifting yep. and it was because of the eugenics wars had taken place in the 90s, like mid 90s or so. Which now, Mid to late. Yeah, yeah. supposedly. Yeah, <laughs> that used to be the future. But <laughs> they left from Earth in like 1996 or 97 i think yep i think that's right and they were it was like a sleeper ship they were all in cryogenic suspension or something just adrift set off in this thing but they were genetically enhanced super soldiers or super people who were effectively taking over the planet. They were like a, a, a right. race of Genghis Khans that were taking over the planet. And like, you guys get off the planet. I think they left on their own because they had started to lose the war. Really? Right? Oh, okay. Because I always thought that they were like yeah. banished. That's why I always thought, but. No, we, how are you going to banish super people, right? <laughs> I don't get enough normal people. You could beat up. <laughs> They're going to stand there in the little handcuffs that they could just break apart with one move and let you sentence them. No, they're super people. Yeah. I believe they were losing the war because basically Basically, the entire world had just ganged up against Khan, who had become the one of all the super people to dominate mm-hmm. the groups because there were the several super factions. Yep. There's a lot of back history that people have yeah. done fan fiction on and stuff. I mean, yeah. it's deep. Say, that would be yeah. an awesome series. Oh, the eugenics, the eugenics wars. wars. Eugenics wars? Yeah. Ooh, but <laughs> yeah, it would. How are you going to do it without the man? I mean, I know, I know. It's tough. <laughs> Right, you get a recast con. <laughs> oh, God. It was a genius idea, like you were saying, Mo. First of all, not a lot of TV shows were turning into movies back in the 70s right. and 80s. Mm-hmm. But the idea that they would do a movie based on a TV show to bring back Star Trek, that's great. But as far as I know, it's the first time anybody ever considered, hey, let's continue lore that fans already know and plug mm. it in and continue a story. They were set up to win because they had this home run idea. Yeah. And that's something Star Trek's continued to do, learning from Wrath of Khan ever since. Yeah, it's a good point. Most movies are either scripts that somebody writes and turns mm-hmm. in and becomes a movie, or right. they're based on another piece of material. Oftentimes before the current like last couple of decades, it was based on a book, right? Sure. So somebody wrote yeah, a book sure. and somebody turned that book into a screenplay and boom, you got a movie. This may be the first instance or one of the first instances where a movie was based off of a TV show. I mean, other than the Twilight Zone movie, which I can't remember, I think that came out after this. I think it was after. Just a bit, yeah. I think this may be the first time that, not off of a TV series, but 
a particular show mm-hmm. was, yeah, was one episode the original right. well even the twilight zone just took the idea of the twilight zone and just did new stories off it this actually took a story thread and continued it yeah it made an original continuation of that story thread too right just set it up for success basically which <laughs> it's even more surprising considering how little interest there was for a star trek film at that point you got to well. remember the motion <laughs> picture had yeah. bombed nobody wanted to be in the star trek business after that even the actors and people who had done Star Trek for years, there there are so many documentaries that give different opinions on this subject, but even Roddenberry didn't seem 100% convinced no. to keep mm-hmm. moving forward. Like he had tried to do other stuff. Because the original motion picture, that had a budget of $44 million. Mm-hmm. With For the time, that was like insane. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Wrath of Khan, yep. $12 million. Yep, yeah. <laughs> The motion picture had Waterworld budget, absolutely, yeah. and Wrath of Khan had Clerk's budget. Well, I guess to show you, good story, right? Yeah. Need a good story in order to make a good movie. A good story, and you need to... I think the failure was certainly important to this, because... Mm-hmm. What motion picture showed was money can't solve all the problems. When you have a flawed concept and you have flawed direction and you have Mm -hmm. arguably flawed actors in flawed roles and Mm -hmm. flawed (laughs) everything, you can't save it. It's a doomed ship, not no pun intended. (laughs) You're shoveling dirt on the motion picture, but a lot of it is merited, George. I mean, it's so we were quite young, but I remember seeing the motion picture. Oh, yeah. I want to say I didn't see it in the theater, but I have memories of seeing it in the theater. I did not. I saw it on VHS. I really enjoyed Star Trek. I remember watching it and like, I didn't want to not like it. Like I wasn't accustomed to seeing something that I loved and not liking it. I'm like, do I not like this? No, certainly there's something awesome in it. Like I'm trying, I never occurred to me film criticism that I could actually watch something and say it's garbage, (laughs) but like it wasn't bad. It was just consistently never got to good. Like it, it, It wasn't offensive. It was just kind of flat and meandering. We've talked about the long space shots it had put that 44 million on the screen and it was in the form of special effects and yeah. nebulas and stuff that just didn't drive character exactly and i think if they would have i think they were just relying on it being star trek right kind of i think that's yeah. all they were thinking that if it's star trek we throw some great space scenes make the enterprise look more modern and hey we're set yep. and didn't work <laughs> no no definitely didn't and i think you know we we could go down a whole podcast on motion picture and its success slash failure <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> ratio. But I think it's important to get back to Wrath of Khan a little bit because what they learned on motion picture informed how Wrath of Khan got made. So yeah. like you said, Mo, they scaled the budget back, right? They brought mm-hmm. in a rookie director. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. Mm-hmm. Right. There were certain actors who were key and essential to doing the film at all that mm-hmm. made specific demands that turned out to be beautiful like perfect visionary plans for not just this film in particular, but also the subsequent films to come. Mm -hmm. I I don't think that you have all of that happen without the motion picture bombing as spectacularly as it did (laughs) from the opening moments of those 27 minute oh, credit flyby shot. Yeah. Oh I mean, my God. Jesus the credits Christ. were forever too. Like that was when people were getting up. I'm going to snack bar and then sneaking into another theater. That's how bad yeah. those shots were. <laughs> There's something about Wrath of Khan too, I think, that motion picture was let's take Star Trek and make it a movie. Mm-hmm. And the Wrath mm-hmm. of Khan is more like, let's take a movie and make it Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Like, let's make it feel yeah. like an episode with like the interaction between the people being more meaningful and it, watching it myself just recently, I think we probably all rewatched it uh, in preparation for the show. Oh, yeah. I know I did. And <laughs> and there are parts toward the beginning that like they hit me different now in my 50s where poor Kirk is allergic to Retinox 5 and he's gifted reading glasses. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm literally wearing reading glasses right now as I record the show so I can read the screen. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I get what he's going through. It's a time mm-hmm. of his life. And rather than just do more of the same, they said, let's advance the characters. Let's talk about aging. Let's talk about death and make that movie that feels like a meaningful episode. And again, learn, like you said, George, they learn from motion picture. It's not spectacle with Star Trek on it. It's Star Trek with spectacle on it. That's yeah. the well, difference. Yeah. And they, you know, you talk about that scene, right? That scene to me is one that people forget when they're talking about this one thing in context. And that's the claustrophobia of the movie. Mm-hmm. That was a specific decision that was made for Wrath of Khan because motion picture had these wide open bridges and hallways Mm -hmm. and these beautiful graphics and those shitty 
uniforms that were supposed yeah. to be beautiful <laughs> with the little know, fanny pack in the anyway, middle thing. Yeah, what yeah. the hell ever that was. Oh, oh, welcome to your spandex uniforms. <laughs> if you think about that one scene where Kirk is given the glasses mm-hmm. from McCoy, mm-hmm. even his apartment felt cramped. The way yeah. they shot that apartment with the camera angles being slightly above them as they slid into those weird seats that somehow ended up on the bridge of Next Gen's Enterprise. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where they stole them from, but it was just everything in that film was small feeling and claustrophobic because Intimate, it was right. It feels close. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. close. I think it was meant to dial up the intensity subconsciously from the very beginning because the intensity throughout this film was so much better than yep. anything they had done with the previous film. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let me ask you two guys a question before we get too deep in this. We both all rewatched it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel it held up? Perfect. Yep. Pretty darn well. Yeah, I could I could still watch it today and it doesn't feel like a 40-year-old movie. It feels right. like an older movie. Uh, there are some hints in there. I think I know where you're going with this, but yeah. story-wise, it held up pretty well. Very rewatchable. For me, I mean, I think the story totally held up. The acting totally held up. The yep. only thing that distracted me and made me see its age was the special effects. The special effects to me definitely it seemed like it dated it for me. Which special effects? Yeah, for well, example. Just pretty much all of them are pretty cheesy. We get right down, like even when they're looking at close up of the screen, because yeah. now I'm watching this on this nice HD TV now, which I probably, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the stuff around the screen and it looked like they just kind of glued stuff to a wall. I mean, it just looked, you know. <laughs> so you're talking about practical like set, set design, design and stuff versus or special effects? Some of the set stuff, some of the special okay. effects, it definitely seemed like lower budget. I hate to say that. Which it know, was. Yeah. To the first movie, which yeah. it was, obviously. But I still enjoyed the movie don't get me wrong i mean i mm-hmm. watched it it was mm-hmm. one of the few times we had to watch rewatch yeah. a movie he had to say that because he could see our reactions we're starting <laughs> to get wait pissed a off shit wait a minute. <laughs> it's one of the few times where i'm you know we had to rewatch a movie that i literally started it and watched it all the way through straight through didn't yeah. have to skip anything i'm like oh no i watched this thing straight through because it was such a great movie but it just seemed like those things now i'm like wow i said this does seem like it's an older movie like you said john for sure i, I will admit that the computer graphic displays the wire models of things Mm -hmm. happening like the creation of the genesis planet flyover stuff i will admit that yes that can look dated compared to what they could do cgi today no question i don't think there's any way to avoid that that's not what i mean by it holds up perfectly what i mean by it holds up perfectly is all of that stuff is not even secondary. It's tertiary to what brings you into the story, which is the acting, the writing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. I think that everything about the film overshadows those small inadequacies so much that you really have to almost be looking for them to find a complaint with them. They don't leap out at you necessarily, yeah. right? You, you, it's like people have said, well, I don't watch letterbox movies because of the black bars. If you're looking at the black bars, you can need to find a better <laughs> movie because you should be focusing on the movie, right? right? So it, those things don't call attention to themselves. But if you're looking for them, not, it's not even bad. It's pretty good looking for the time. It's great for the time. Phenomenal for the time. Yeah. But as I recall, I recently watched that ILM documentary, and this was like the first all-computer CGI scene ever oh, put yeah. on the screen mm-hmm. in a motion picture. The simulation of the Genesis bomb exploding and mm-hmm. the planet turning into this lush thing. And it looks really dated. It says top secret on it, which is kind of goofy, <laughs> top secret to whom. And uh, But it shows that. And even in, like uh, if you're watching Lower Decks, the animated series, they just poked fun at that the other day oh, on a yes. recent episode where they, they show some computer graphics, and Rutherford even called calls out, whoa, awesome graphics, because it looks (laughs) exactly like that stuff. So it's almost like even though it looks, I'm using air quotes here, bad or not great, it is part of the iconography of that movie and it's in its DNA. And even though it looks a little janky, it makes it endearing. It's part of like that smallness, (laughs) the intimacy. Yeah, the computer graphics aren't, they're not 2022, you know, bleeding edge pixel stuff, but there's something about like a hominess and ambition that went into that film that put it over the top and that, that computer graphics, the thing that today jumps out at me is one of those things that they did extra, extra that made it even more special, despite the fact that specifically doesn't hold up to technology today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to our Blues Brother podcast a little bit. You guys watched Mm. the Blues Brothers originally when it first came out. I didn't. Right. So I don't have the same nostalgic feeling that you guys do toward it. So it doesn't hold up as well to me. I think that this is another movie that falls into that category. If you didn't see Wrath of Khan in 82 or very close thereof, I get why this movie might not look that great. Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. 
it still would hold up like my youngest son. He watched this film with me when he was like 10 and uh-huh. he loved it he, right. to him. It was a great movie, even though compared to the stuff he was watching at that point, it was far inferior as far as graphics were concerned. He still loved it. And that's why I asked you, Mo, which, which graphics are you talking about? Which special yeah. effects? Because the dog fighting special effects, like the torpedoes and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I think still holds up beautifully. Oh, yeah, today. No, that was well, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, set design, okay, yeah, but Star Trek's always <laughs> yeah, fucked up true. set that's design kind of one it, way or it? another, right? That's kind <laughs> right. of their thing. <laughs> it's the <their> thing. <laughs> yep. Whew. All right, so this film, Rocky Start, based on the motion picture as its backing, turned out to be a great film. Great films don't just happen accidentally. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about the people and characters that made this film so awesome. Awesome. Please stick around. We'll be right back. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. A scientist discovered it. We're talking about universal Armageddon. A madman stole it. I mean to avenge myself upon you, Admiral. An admiral pursued it. And it warped speed in three minutes or we're all dead. They all wanted it. They're on a build-up to detonation. Now, none can escape it. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Rated PG. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Check your local paper for theater location. Wrath of Khan is not Wrath of Khan without the people, obviously, that made it happen. I'm talking both in front of and behind the camera here. There's so much good talent, legendary talent that's been in Star (laughs) Trek forever. So let me just get out of the way quickly. The main cast of people we know, I don't mean to minimize them, but, you know, Nimoy, Shatner, Nichols, Dewan, Koenig, Takei, Kelly, they were all in the film, obviously. And for my money, they were at the top of their game for these characters. Spock was the spockiest I'd ever seen him. Michelle Nichols was (laughs) awesome. Bones was as grumpy as he needed to be. Everybody was on point, which helped, of course, as I said, make a Star Trek episode that you put a movie around. But one thing I want to say about the original cast, which I really loved about this movie, is that it was cool how they you see them in life without Kirk. Like, it's mm-hmm. in the future. Yep. So you see Spock as his own... Because in Star Trek, the series, everything revolved around Kirk, right? He was the glue that held all the crew together. And this one, though, you see them act like, you know, Spock is his own captain. Everyone else is doing their own thing. Kind of progressed. Yep. And they progressed. And yeah, that just made the characters more real and more believable. Yeah, and absolutely. <laughs> ended up being Kirk-centric eventually. Uh, so they were all on top of their game. But there were some creative forces behind the scenes that also hugely contributed to making this so good. Yeah, uh, I think we have to talk about the director. Oh, yeah, if absolutely. you don't talk oh, about yeah. the director, yeah, Nicholas it. Meyer, in this case, basically a rookie, right? He yeah, was not he supposed to. He had a couple to, credits, right? Yeah, yeah, but he's a rookie when it compares to being yeah. a person who's going to helm the possible reinvigorating Star Trek franchise <laughs> film. Yeah, that's yeah. not the name you would expect. That's not the Spielberg or a Scorsese or anything like that you mm-hmm. that you might have hoped for. Like Nicholas Meyer. Who the hell is Nicholas Meyer? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but if you don't have him in the film, you don't get the film that you have, regardless of the script that was written or some stuff that we're going to talk about in a second about Nimoy's demands on the storyline and mm-hmm. his character in particular. 
Nicholas Meyer's essential to making Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. We keep referring back to the motion picture, but it's it's super relevant here. Roddenberry was obviously the helm of the Star Trek franchise, despite his, you know, bickering back and forth with, mm-hmm. yeah. with Paramount. The point is, he was Star Trek. But when the when motion picture flagged and didn't do very well, they pulled the reins out of his hands and said, okay, the yeah. Star Trek thing you made is great, but maybe you don't know how to make a movie. And they it did. was because of that that they started shopping around and found Nicholas Meyer, which I think That's is fascinating. exactly right. Yeah, I mean, they took Star Trek away from Roddenberry. And mm-hmm. I know that there were people at the time, you you see, I don't know how many documentaries and podcasts, oh and God. now we're contributing mm-hmm. to that, are based <laughs> on this whole thing that happened at that time. And so many of those people who are fans like we are of Star Trek, that was awful of them to do to Roddenberry. Everybody says all these things, how shameful it was for an organization to do something to the creative mind that came up with Star Trek in the first place. I'll be honest with you. I'm not that pissed when they shoot Roddenberry (laughs) down because oftentimes, in my opinion, Roddenberry fucks shit up on his own. Yeah. I heard that too, that the original movie, I heard that he was like a lot of script changes because he wanted things changed. He Bings went over budget because he kept demanding things to change. And don't be wrong, he created Star Trek. It's amazing. And I think he got it to a certain point, but I don't think he could get it to that next level, which was just in the big screen. I felt the same way. Just because you're a visionary doesn't mean you can finish the work. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you talk about the Burmans of the world and stuff like that that came in later with Star Trek, we're like, well, you're not Roddenberry. Well, that's okay. There are yeah. other creative people on the planet yeah. that can take this amazing tapestry and make new pictures out of it. And that's you what look they at did. like a Kurtzman right now who's kind right. of driving the Star Trek franchise. Tell me that Star Trek right now is not in a renaissance. It's awesome Mm -hmm. right now. There are so many good things about Star Trek that, quite frankly, Roddenberry couldn't have handled in his best days, Mm -hmm. let alone his later in life. At this point, he was not in the best frame of mind. He was depressed after motion picture. He was having all kinds of problems with the we people were all who depressed were part of Star Trek. Pictures. <laughs> the world was. <laughs> but it's one of the instances where the corporation, the studio, the execs that we always, you know, love piling on and hating on and everything. And well, every time we talk about it, them. In this case, they made the best decision yeah. they could. They took it away from Roddenberry. They still gave him credit in the film and still let him be slightly a part of the process. Sure. They didn't yeah. like, you know, you're done. You're no longer Star Trek. But they still said, you know what, Gene, why don't you go over here and have a margarita <laughs> for a little while, sit back on the beach and let some new people take this thing forward because it's our money. Right. And, and we'll still pay you, too. <laughs> they took away that 100% veto power. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned, we talked about the entire cast was back, obviously. They almost weren't all back. In fact, Leonard yeah. Nimoy, <laughs> arguably the most important character, you could say Kirk is the center, but Spock is the most identifiable, certainly, of the franchise. He was like, after motion picture especially, he's like, he didn't want to be in it at all. And there was a bit of back and forth there. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of back and forth. And I just want to point out, you talk about Kirk might be the central figure, but Spock is the mm-hmm. the real centerpiece of Trek. Mm -hmm. When I was typing this note into our Trello card Uh and I typed the word Spock, I typed the S in lowercase and it auto-corrected me to uppercase. (laughs) Uppercase Spock. Spock This is a proper name, dummy. (laughs) Yeah, you're wrong, dude. Sorry. Like it didn't do that with Kirk but it damn sure did that with Spock. So there <laughs> you go. Sense. Yep, yep. <laughs> Even autocorrect knows who's more important. And yes, Nimoy is Spock. Now, don't get me wrong. We have had actors since Nimoy that have done mm-hmm. extremely serviceable jobs oh, yeah, for sure. portraying the character of Spock. And I think they all deserve fair credit, but they're just really approximating Nimoy. That's mm-hmm. every single one of them. They're yeah. not really making it their own as much as they're pulling back to what Nimoy did. And Nimoy was so strong in his resolve that I'm not coming back mm-hmm. unless you kill my character. <laughs> so I could never come back again, right? <laughs> no, but that wasn't his plan. That's what everybody yeah. thinks. His plan really was to kill Spock and then have him reborn in a subsequent film. That was his whole idea. He wanted an amazing death scene. Yes. Absolutely. Right. Which we'll talk in later. He fucking got, mm-hmm. by the yeah. way. Yeah, we can yeah, we tell you. Yeah. But his demand shaped this film. And if we hadn't gotten Nimoy in the first place, it would not have been as meaningful a film. If we had not gotten Nimoy in the first place, there would not have been a demand to kill him, which became, spoiler alert, he's killed at the end of this film. <laughs> he would not have gotten killed. 
And had we not had Nimoy back as Spock, this would not have been that movie because it would no. it wouldn't it would have been him. It wouldn't have had the death of him because nobody demanded it, and it wouldn't have had the gravitas that it had with the sacrifice. Without Nimoy's demand for Spock's death, you don't get the even numbered Star Trek syndrome. Right? Maybe not. Good, bad, yeah. good, bad, good, bad. <laughs> and we talk about cast and stuff, but one thing we definitely have to talk about though is the Enterprise itself. I mean, that is as mm-hmm. much a cast member to me as like when it was getting shot. I mean, I. Cringed. It hurts. It hurts. And I was like, no, I know. Like, don't do that. That was just like painful. And even I know in the later movies when they actually blow up the Enterprise, mm-hmm. I know people who cried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know the first time I saw it, I did. Yeah. There were people that were just as mad about the Enterprise blowing up as Spock died. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The one thing the first movie did right, and this one copied, was that approach to the Enterprise. Right. Reintroduce the ship. Show right. how beautiful it is with the refit. Show how pretty it is, right? But you don't yep. have to spend 400 hours. No, yeah, you don't. It was really right. long the yeah. first time. True. Right. <laughs> Instead, you saw a few of the crew on a shuttle. They're coming in. They see it. The fans get their reverence by looking in the eyes of the characters. Like, you look in the yeah. Kirk's eyes, and he sees that like it's a family member. It's a lover. Yeah. It's a wife. That ship, he like looks at it adoringly. You see the emotional, yeah. He's like, that's my ship. And we pick up on that. And we're like, we love it too. And mm-hmm. if you don't have that, you don't have the, the heart that we have. That's why it hurts when they shoot the side of the ship. You're like, ah, it's like my yeah. ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the paint. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, it's a good point. You talk about the emotion in his eyes. In the motion picture, there's no emotion in anybody <laughs> during those flybys. Oh, gosh. None. The android had more emotion well, than they They did. might have started with some, but maybe an hour 10 of shooting that flyby probably exactly. ran Exactly. You're probably like, oh, more ship. Okay. <laughs> oh. The other, like, you're going to talk about a ship is a big deal. We got to talk about it in the Wrath of Khan. We mentioned the crappy jumpsuits from the motion picture. <laughs> the monster maroon uniforms that are introduced yeah. mm. in the Wrath of Khan it's so busy. It's so amazing. Like the red has the white fold over yeah. jacket and the, the bolting thing in the corner and the sleeves. It's a complex uniform. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it looks practical for even a military no. <laughs> organization, but they have such a great screen presence. Yeah. It looks they like, look like dress uniforms yeah, all exactly. the time. All the time. Yeah. But I honestly, of all the Star Trek universe films and mm-hmm. universe uniforms, I, I think they're my favorite. They're pretty gorgeous. I can see why. Yeah. I mean, they, said like kind of military right they said like mm-hmm. organization to me i wish the first one they look like freaking i don't know what you're gonna paint a house in them i'm not <laughs> sure what they're gonna do with them. they were pajamas <laughs> with fanny packs <laughs> right give me a damn pocket yeah and the whole idea like they kind of like the thing that the flap that came down from the front yeah that flap they were designed it obviously meant for that to happen because there's so many scenes where you see they had the flap down you have it open it's like a casual like it's not buttoned right. up it was it's supposed relaxed. to be yeah. for venting oh, for venting really? <laughs> yeah it was because no honestly the actors i've seen like one or two where they actor said we did that in between scenes we folded that flap down because the suits were so hot and it would let air out of them because that material was so thick (laughs) Mm -hmm. they've never really used that one much in the future they just kind of moved on to other things with the next generation stuff but that one i love seeing it show up in strange new worlds and that the the finale of the first season when i won't spoil it but a a character shows up in that uniform kind of reimagined and i'm like oh the monster maroon he's got it on and it just it (laughs) screams motion picture era it looks so good we're talking about talent people are we not going to talk about the relationship between Chekhov and Khan and the fact that they shouldn't fucking have one <laughs> that's a good every point. podcast that's going to talk about this movie is going to yeah. talk about it so we kind of have to don't we I love how it's been worked out though so the idea was that Space Seed was a first season episode of Star Trek and Chekhov didn't show up they didn't bring a Russian character on the Enterprise till the second season of Star mm-hmm. Trek so ostensibly they would never have met because he says but you I never forget a face right <laughs> it's like well <laughs> when did you ever see his face I remember at the time when we were running the convention circuit and seeing people there was a running joke that oh they ran into one another in the bathroom and there was only one open urinal and Chekhov took it and he went I will never forget, forget your face, your face. Yes. <laughs> but but it was a little plot whole what i love beautifully is that there was a novel called rain in hell the exile of khan Nuni and singh that was kind of it was all about basically from when he gets dropped off to when we see him in the wrath of khan okay. and in that book i thought was great they try to fix it by having Chekhov be the one who escorts khan and his people down to the planet he's the one that okay. actually officially takes them ah. there and drops them off like he was on the bridge maybe he was on the ship already because we don't see that in the episode of course never yeah. never never yeah. so fans who watched it were like how would he ever know him yeah okay so there's one thing that i've always been confused about this movie too since we're talking about inconsistencies yeah <laughs> they dropped him off on city alpha five is that correct in, correct. in space seed mm-hmm. yes city alpha six exploded 
right? That's right. Mm -hmm. So why would they not think that five was still five? So SETI Alpha 6 exploded and adjusted the orbit of five, pushing it closer to the sun, therefore it became a desert planet. Right. When they were approaching the system from the outside, they count 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Oh, they count from out in? Is yeah. It in well, out? They're coming See, that's in. that's the part that confused to, me. <laughs> they're, they're, they're approaching the system, so you count in. Oh, it's four planets in. That would be six. Well, six is gone. Right. So they actually went to SETI Alpha 5. Okay. I'm always thinking you count from planet sun out. But I'm with you. Well, on, on a chart, but if I'm flying there. that The number <laughs> part was not what I thought the plot hole was. I always thought, there's a big fucking asteroid field. You have star charts. <laughs> you know that wasn't here the last <laughs> time. <laughs> what is all this debris? And how do you forget about this, like, such a significant planet or system? You know, nothing else. But okay. But anyway. That's well, it fun. wasn't. That's the point. It was not a significant system. They dropped them off in an unpopulated system. Well, I would mm-hmm. think the fact that they put him there made it significant. But it's not. <laughs> How many ships are in the Federation at that point? How many missions are they on? How many people do they encounter? It's just another story. It's just another footnote. It's just another time that the Enterprise almost got taken over, which is all the fucking time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I would think that if you're putting the, you know some records together, you took t- pull up a computer on this system, they're like, oh, by the way, we dropped off some super people on this planet, just so you know. <laughs> but they didn't ban the planet like they did a Talos IV. Right. I yeah. know, but st- I would think you put a little they should there. Arguably, they should have banned that before they banned Talos. Yeah, I, I, I would point. agree. People but, who are Star okay. Trek fans are listening to this, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> right, so let's, let's, okay, let's if you're on. talking about the con, you got to dive into this stuff. But let's jump, okay, let's jump back into the characters though. Because If you're going to talk about con and you're going to use that yeah. word, you're going to use the name Ricardo fucking Monteblon. Holy oh, yeah. shit. Mm. Wow. You you he can was... recast the role as often as you want. That's con. He <sighs> has a presence. Oh God, man, does he? And you hear they're talking about like how like his chest was like fake or something like that. That dude was in fucking amazing shape. <laughs> that was him. Yeah, yeah. That was completely him. His chest could have been sunken in like a 92-pound weakling <laughs> on a beach in the comic book ad. And his presence and his demeanor and his delivery of every line in that Everything film. he says is believable. Yeah. When he's still on the planet and he's like, these men swore their life to protect me before you were born. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win. I'm like, holy shit. That's some... And he said that in front of everybody and everybody's like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah, he's right, right. dude. <laughs> he's yep. absolutely well, right. It wasn't just swore to protect me. It was swore to live and die at my command 300 years before before you were even born. I can say that line. It doesn't mean shit. Ricardo Montalban says it. And you're like, God damn, I want to <laughs> yeah. die for you. Shit. Tell me to kill myself. There was some question. He was a little nervous about replaying the role because he wasn't sure that he could still kind of carry it off and all that oh. stuff, which I'm glad he, someone convinced him and he did because he totally pulled it off. And it I was, tell you, he was more imposing here than he was when he originated the character. Yeah, when he originated mm-hmm. it, he was a younger guy. And he was still already a great actor, obviously, but we didn't have the weight that he now has as a man who has been, he sees as unfairly punished by Kirk and his crew and and then ended up, hey, you didn't come back and check on me to see how we're doing at all. You just left us here to to suffer and torture. And the the older Khan is a much grittier and more serious Khan. He's grizzled. He has history. Grizzled. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a thing he does and he did it. Well, did the man's past, but. But he did it in Space Seed and he did it again in Wrath of Khan. I think he kind of even did it in Fantasy Island. But <laughs> when he would deliver lines that were supposed to have weight and meaning and gravitas and pain, he would do this like little squint and he would lower his voice, maybe just a note or two yeah, and like yeah. have a growl in it. And he would slow the words down just enough, like just almost imperceptibly so that you felt every amount of pain that his character felt when he was talking about whatever it was. And uh, yeah. in particular, Space Seed, he he and his Enterprise crewman wife go down to the planet with his people and everything's hunky-dory and we're going to live a wonderful life. And then, of course, all hell breaks loose, planet blows up, and the eels come and yeah. stick themselves in everybody's <laughs> ear and whatnot. Yeah. And his wife dies. The pain that a person who feels responsible for those people and accepts because remember, yeah, Kirk had taken back the ship in Space Seed, but he's still a fucking superpower. They still could have gone out in a blaze of glory, which would have been perfect with their emotional for character them, right? tangent, right? Yeah. It, he chose to 
acquiesce to Kirk's offer of going down to this planet. Imagine the pain that that must feel. I took all my people down there. Half my people died. My right. wife. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every time he said something, you felt it in this yeah. movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You pay attention. He, any scene he was in, you're glued to it. You don't blink. Oh, yeah. Uh, here's a little note I found when kind of doing some research for this is that one is that it's interesting how Kirk and Khan never physically meet in this movie. Nope. Which nope. is interesting. Nope. You think about it's it. It's all on screens. Yeah. And also, they actually never acted together either because they both had conflicting schedules. Yeah. yeah. But you feel how much they hate each other, you know, or mm-hmm. at least oh, yeah. Khan hates Kirk and Kirk is not like, oh shit about him. You know, it, it's a it's, chess game of geniuses. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, okay. We, we might get just a whole episode on Ricardo Montalban, honestly, yeah. but <laughs> somebody else worth mentioning is the introduction of Kirstie Alley as a yeah. new Vulcan character, Savick in this. Now she only ever played the character one movie because she was yeah. recast and replaced for the, for three. But what did you guys think of Kirstie Alley? Just rewatch this. So I have thoughts. So are we going to talk about the actress or the character? Yes. <laughs> well, okay. so look, so you you loaded it. I'll go ahead and pull the trigger. I never believed Kirstie Alley as a Vulcan. I didn't Me believe neither. her as Savick. I like Robin Curtis better in the role. I like Kirstie Alley fine. I think she was a not convincing Vulcan. She was more human than Spock, who's half human and fighting yeah. it. Well, in... Savick's character, if I'm not mistaken, is supposed to be half Romulan, half Vulcan. Is it? But Something. even more so. Why Why would you Which be so emotional? Because yeah. they're the same yeah. fucking race, just one chose to let their emotions <laughs> and one chose not <laughs> yeah. to, and they went a different plan. So why they introduced her that way as half and half, I'd I, like, well, okay, that just screwed everything see, up. Yeah, it seemed like an unnecessary detail. <laughs> but <laughs> I think you're right, John. Uh, she was pretty to look at and I'm not trying mm-hmm. to cast aspersions on Kirstie Alley as an actress I think she's a fine actress and I think she's yep. done some funny work in Cheers and other things since then but you're right she wasn't a believable Vulcan she should no. not have been cast in that role she's yeah. the mistake of the film and you have other people and other characters who could deliver the hurt of Spock's death at the end of the film much yep. better than her character. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. In lesser film, that casting would not have been so obvious, but because yeah, right. everything was so good in this film, mm-hmm. it stands out. Her, her portrayal stuck out like a sore thumb. It, it, yeah, again, for sure. I, I don't think she did fine. She was miscast was her problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she yeah. did the best she could with her, with her skills. <laughs> yeah. We talk about the cast and all that stuff, but one big change they did from the first movie to the second movie is they got James Horner to do the music. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. The music in this second movie was just on point. Yeah. I mean, every single scene, you know, with their Friday, you know, I mean, yes. Yeah. It, it always like, it sounded Star Trek one. It does. And yep. let me tell you, it was like, oh yeah, there's a battle coming. You know, it was just a really, really great job. It's hard to overestimate the value of a good score. You know, you look at like your John Williams's and Star Wars and things like that. You know, those films would not be the films that they are. And Star Trek just kind of had the Alexander Courage theme initially, and they just kind of did whatever with it. But getting James Horner with a limited budget, how did they get him? I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was another linchpin. You're right. He was the perfect person to score the film. I honestly don't know much about James Horner, so he's not the John Williams to me. He's not the Danny mm-hmm. Elfman. He's not the name. But I am super happy that they put him... It, we talked about, you know, Kirstie Alley being horrible casting for the, mm-hmm. her role. He was perfect yeah. casting for his. Yeah. This is a soundtrack that I'll listen to just in the car sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you know the movie so well, you can just hear the movie in your head while you're listening to that soundtrack because it fits so well with the scenes it was used in. I have three movie soundtrack CDs that I bought besides Color of Money, which will talk about another time we already have but (laughs) non-words you know just scores i have three star trek two star trek four and star trek six star trek six all the evens (laughs) yep there's so much that's good about this film which with only minor exclusions when we get back from the break i want you guys to think about it between now and then we're gonna talk about what is your favorite scene from this film could be a tricky one could be a tough one i'll ask you when we get back My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at genxgrownup.com. 
Explore the far reaches of the universe with the Starship Enterprise and Wendy's. Because right now, with the purchase of a Wendy's fun-packed meal, you'll receive a free Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan movie poster. Imagine it. You get just the right-size Wendy's hamburger, french fries, and soft drink or frosty, plus this exciting color wall poster free. So beam yourself to Wendy's for a fun-packed meal that's truly out of this world. But be careful. The Wrath of Khan awaits you. Whenever we talk about a specific film, I love this segment because it really shows what it is that makes it so special for us, a film that we do enjoy. And so what I want to talk about here is so many good points in this film. Certainly, everybody tends to have a favorite or something they're drawn to. Or when you think about this movie, you think about that's the defining scene for you. And for me, tons of good scenes and probably the one that I think you're going to pick, George, is the one we could fight over. But another one that is absolutely <laughs> amazing to me is that entire, everything from when they enter the nebula to even the, the mm. stakes oh, right, right. to when they exit the nebula and they and move on, that entire battle where they talk about, oh, you know, Khan is not thinking three dimensions. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the first times in Star Trek that they stop ships just meeting nose to nose, right side up all the time. We're in freaking space. What yep. about up and down and angles <laughs> and shippers are approaching each other on weird oblique angles. And not just the ships flying in space, but also for me, that whole battle where shit's not going well and Kirk is calling people we got to get a little more power here Scotty can you get a little bit of transporter let's oh we got to buy 60 seconds give me some time it's just this back and forth with Khan there's not a ticking clock there's no countdown to when things are going to be over but it feels like there's a heartbeat that's mm -hmm. driving you because again the sets are very small everybody's panicked Khan clearly has the upper hand that's why they went in the nebula to even the stakes because they had no shields that entire scene it raises my adrenaline and it gets my heart pumping I'm like this is the kind of space battle you want to see not just lasers and explosions you want to see the people in it and that's so cool for me yeah for me the thing that got me the most was just how quiet it was it wasn't like a loud until the final shooting and stuff yeah it, it, it was plotting and thinking and it whispering was, it, was all, yeah. it was like very quiet and like, yeah you said like very samarini right everyone's very quiet it was mm -hmm. thinking they're looking at their view screen as flickering to see if they could actually see yeah and to me again it just added to the tension you're right that's why i love it it, it made it one of my favorite fight battle scenes of every time i think what's important you talk about submarine and in the nebula and everything it's the one scene in the film that doesn't feel claustrophobic and i mm. think they were trying to approximate for us when it comes to submarine battles and naval battles the ocean is a big place compared right. to the size of the things in it and that's the way this nebula was now we only saw the nebula in these weird shots that couldn't really convey how big it was the scope the, of it right the yeah. time that they took between the interactions of the ships you know the guys just kind of sitting around on pins and needles trying to be quiet like you would on a submarine when you're in mm -hmm. the middle of the ocean and even a drop of a quarter on a metal deck could be heard and reverberate mm -hmm. those kinds of scenes ratcheted up the tension but also the time that they allowed those things to develop allowed it to feel broader and more important than any other individual scene in the film as far as it its expansion in the universe and it fed into the interaction between Khan and Kirk which was right. the the main you know kind of fight that was going on Mo how about you do you have now that I've taken a great one do you have another scene you consider a favorite yeah there's plenty there's plenty, <laughs> there's plenty of scenes and there's enough to go Several around to pick from. one of my favorite scenes that sticks out to me is when they're abandoned into the Genesis asteroid where they see in there and they're eating oh. and Kirstie Allen finally convinces Kirk to like tell him how he beat the unbeatable you know scenario right. and all that stuff yeah. and the whole thing that got me was just like how to me it gets it is like when Kirk has a I get apple I don't know what exactly was he was eating and he pulls out his communicator Spock are you ready yeah. and I was like I was like and you see McCoy just smiling he says I knew it is I knew he had a plan this whole time. And Kirk says, I don't like to lose. <sighs> it's to me, that was like one of the biggest badass moments ever. It's just like it's the payoff. Yeah. Where they, if you're paying attention where they set it up, where they're like, well, if you're like our ambitious Savic, hours could seem like days, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they all picked up on that. And of course, us listening now, we're like, he's setting it up. And so he knew the six days would be six hours. And he was all suave and cool. You're right. You know, he knows like he didn't tell anybody else right. that it would just be six hours out. But he knew 
into it because he had talked to Spock. It was it was a baller move. It may be the most Kirkish scene yeah. in the film. <laughs> so you're right. <laughs> yeah, it was full of swagger. It's got that swagger. It's got that sly look at the camera when he when he says the phrase, I hate to mm-hmm. lose, you know, that you're talking about. And then her incredulous to him. Mm-hmm. You lied, right? I embellished. <laughs> I think <laughs> back on the ship or something. Exaggerated, exaggerated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so perfect because it's another thing that develops those characters, makes you love them mm-hmm. even more, makes you root for them in this horrible situation that they're in, and they still find a way to Kobayashi Maru themselves out yeah. of this mm-hmm. horrible I, predicament. I don't like to lose. And it's funny how the, the Kobayashi Maru, which is something they came in this movie, like we never heard of it before this movie, right? Yeah, now mm-hmm. has such a part of Star Trek oh, yeah. lore. Yeah. Like you see it now in the later stuff. You see it mentioned all the time. Not just Star Trek. Yeah. It's in everything. Like yep. anytime you have an impossible situation that somehow somebody finds a way out of, I Kobayashi marooed that son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, they, that's what you see in so many yep. TV shows that pay homage to this one film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. George, how about you? Favorite scene for well, You know, we haven't talked about it, so we you know we're damn well going to. You know what it is. Yep. Yeah. The Spock death. And I'm going to oh. couple it with the Kirk funeral speech because I'm George and I cheat. I get two scenes. That, well, they go together. I'll, I'll, I'll give together. you this one. I'll give, yeah. it, I'll give you an allowance. <laughs> uh, so it starts off. They're in the battle. The battle is kind of winding down now. Khan's ship is adrift and he's dying. He turns on the device and... All of a sudden, they're like, oh, shit, that's the Genesis wave. We got to get out of here. Wait, we can't get warp. The warp's down. And Spock, the camera focuses on him. He just spins around in his chair, and he looks for a second, and then just stands up and walks off. You're like, oh, shit. He knows what he needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. Spock gets down there. And Scotty and McCoy are saying, you know, like, you can't go in there and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And everything. And he nerve pinches McCoy and mm-hmm. sits him on the ground. Remember, remember. And puts his hands up. And as soon as he goes in, you know, immediately, this is the yeah. end of Spock. Just it's just it's sacrifice. Brutal. They do give you that little hope that he's not like it's not the end. Well, because of the remember. You know, when Kurt goes down there and he stands up. Oh, the standing up. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's OK. But then you right. see and Scotty walk. just. He said he's, he's already dead, right? Yeah. right? He's just he's he's a walking dead. He just man. hasn't fallen over yet. And right. I yep. love that part there, Mo, where you talk about where he stands up. What does he do? He adjusts straightens his uniform. Yep, straightens his uniform. Damn, back to the man so he doesn't show that he needs to fix the uniform because anybody who's been in the military, you know, you turn your back, you fix your uniform, you turn back around to present yourself. And that's what he does in that Mm -hmm. moment. That's still a part of his character. And he, he stumbles over to the glass and he falters and Kirk his heart just fucking starts breaking immediately. Like yeah. when McCoy yeah. and Scotty release his arms, you can see that that's the, I'm getting teary eyed thinking about it. He, he wants to go to it. He wants to help. Yeah. It. He wants well, to embrace not just it. that, but you see that's the moment Kirk's spirit is broken. When they let go of his arms, he doesn't fall rushing into the glass. He just, Everything leaves his body. Kind of deflated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just, oh my God. And he goes over. And he calls him out, calls out Spock. You Spock! Know. <laughs> just two amazing mm. lines in there. The, the second one I'll leave to you, George, which is amazing. But the line Spock has, which plays back into the Kobayashi Maru, and he says, mm-hmm. I never took mm-hmm. the Kobayashi Maru. What do you yeah. think of my solution? Mm-hmm. Which is to sacrifice myself. He even asks, ship out of danger? Right. Yep. His first question is, did my sacrifice work? work and he's like yeah it is and that's when Spock kind of resigns himself and he's like okay well you know let's talk about it you know you say it that way I don't think Spock even saw it as a sacrifice because one of his lines in there the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one that mm-hmm. Kirk finishes for him in that sentence, which is Spock couldn't even finish the whole line. I see it as both. I mean, I you're, you're right. He's definitely a logical choice. He made the decision. He's like, it makes no sense for me to live if the entire ship dies. He knows that. But he would not ask anyone else to do it. He did it himself, right. which is sure. irrational. That's illogical. The reality is, you know, you find someone who isn't critical to the ship's operation, but that's not how the man thinks. The man thinks, I'm not going to ask anybody to do it. I'm I mean, it, yeah. We're going to go into the logical thought progression. <laughs> I think he probably recognized he was likely, besides Scotty, the only person who could repair the who work was capable of doing it. And he knew yeah. Scotty couldn't go in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're not going to send Ensign number 12 into that chamber. He ain't going to know fuck all to do with all that <laughs> stuff flying up in his face. He's yeah. not going to figure it out. So and then you finally- have the two men. You have them sitting on the ground. Vulcan salute through the glass. Mm-hmm. 
uh, hands falling down and Kirk just kind of, he just kind of spins slightly and his back lays up against the glass and then the camera pulls back. And then you go to the torpedo tube and Mm -hmm. the torpedo itself, the flag, and they're in that room with all the people. First time I've ever heard the funeral march played on bagpipes. I don't know that it was done. Amazing Grace. Yeah. I don't know that I had ever heard it done before with the bagpipes. My dad, when he saw the movie, he's like, you know, I've always hated bagpipes except for that song. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He said, that's the sound of the music. It's crazy. And that scene, I'm still getting teared up. I know we're professional podcasters because we've gotten paid five cents for this podcast, but (laughs) I can't help it. I'm still emotional over this scene. To this day, 40 years later, just even thinking about that funeral scene and the emotions that those people played on their faces... I don't know what part of the film they actually shot that scene at, but if they did it any point except for the last <laughs> scene of the film, I couldn't have gone on as a, as an actor. I couldn't have made the it past The unflappable that. Captain Kirk, or Admiral Kirk at this point, he's giving that eulogy, mm. and he can't even keep it together. Right. No. He's doing the line, of all the souls I've known, his was the most... He's, he's Christ, he's breaking up, human, he can't even get the word out. No, it, I, it's, I uh, spent hours and hours and hours perf- trying to perfect that line myself just because <laughs> I love it. His was the most human. <laughs> just the way he, that drop of the U and the growl and like it was caught in his throat and everything. Yeah. Just, Unfortunately, they didn't cut to Kirstie Alley, which d- didn't help that uh, scene. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the only flaw in the scene with her tear. <laughs> Fuck you and your tear. Yeah, I didn't believe the it. The only thing that bothers me about that line is it's kind of a Vulcan burn. Like the in last thing they want to be is human. But the point he's saying is his spirit, you know, the, right. the human emotion, the human, you know, whatever, uh, longing for life and exploration. He possessed that is what but he I, was saying. I think at that point in their relationship, he knew Spock would be the only Vulcan not to see that as an insult. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only one thing I'm going to add to that is that of all those lines, the one that totally got me, though, is when Spock says, I have been, always will be your friend. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the death scene. Yeah. That it's, was, it's a callback to because he, he says it earlier in the movie mm-hmm. he does and it, it has yep. a meaning he's like oh yeah i mean that's especially for spock to say that right that's right. serious right because earlier in the film he, he's saying you definitely should take command don't worry i don't have an ego right i'm your friend and i shall be yours right and then it, it circles back around and pays off it's like remember what mm-hmm. i told you still true mm-hmm. yeah well i mean they do that with both of those sets of lines have yeah. been and always should be your friend and you know the needs of the many which is probably the more famous of the two lines oh, but sure. both super yeah. important they book in the film and the story with those because at its heart, Wrath of Khan, it's a story about the relationship between those two characters. Mm-hmm. It, yes. It pays off. Khan is the thing that drives the problem of the story for the characters, but it's a Kirk Spock story from beginning to end. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. If you're a die-hard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. In the life of every warrior, there is a battle destined to be his greatest or his last. A battle that will reunite two old friends. Commanding a starship is your first best destiny. And two old enemies. A little pack. A battle between the Starship Enterprise and the Wrath of Khan. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, rated PG. I mentioned earlier that the Kobayashi Maru, like how that started this movie, it just became part of just everything Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. it, it, from one movie, it's in every series that follows up. Everything is keeps referencing back to it. 
But man, this thing has such an impact in so many other ways. Oh, it does. I mean, we mentioned just a bit in the the tease at the top of the show that after the motion picture, that could have been the end. Like it was so poorly received. It's almost surprising that the second one got made. But for the (laughs) fact that- Totally surprising. Motion picture was the end of Star Trek. $44 million down the tubes. They knew there was something there. Fans were still clamoring. There were still conventions like, let's give this another shot. The fact that Wrath of Khan is so good mm-hmm. is, I, I, I don't want to say single-handedly, but it is one of the mm. primary reasons that the Star Trek franchise did not end in 1979. The Wrath of Khan being as good as it is says, oh my God, this is what this franchise can be? <laughs> yeah, we love the original. What if you take the original and modernize it with you know current technology and story writing and storytelling and that can be this? And that yeah. leads you to the next generation that leads you to a discovery that leads you to strange new worlds that leads you to everything we have today that none of that would have been worth talking about if they said yeah we tried movies back in 80 and it was garbage and we've moved on to something else but that's not what happened no i mean four classic series films after that and then Mm -hmm. the the weird hybrid generations film (laughs) which Mm kind of wound that up horribly uh, because it was an odd number film and (laughs) then you've got next gen which was a part of generations you've got ds9 which a lot of people up until strange new worlds felt like was the best star trek franchise Mm -hmm. series Uh, voyager you've got enterprise itself you've got Mm -hmm. the animated series you've got all these different things that have come around Uh, some of them before some most of them after wrath of khan but you don't have wrath of khan you don't really get any of that you certainly don't have people clamoring for it 40 years later right yep we've talked about how it's rippled through pop culture and kobayashi maru that thing mm-hmm. you know but even in they took a lead not only in the legend of khan nuni and singh and the super soldiers and the eugenic wars that we knew about but they have taken a lead the way that we took something we knew like an episode like space seed and rolled that into a film they continue to do that now with star trek in an amazing way it's so interconnected in the modern series there are continuous references back to the wrath of khan and khan nuni and singh Mm-hmm. Uh, we just saw the end of uh, the Picard season two, the the spinoff with Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. And in the second season of that, the character played by Brent Spiner has this binder in his office that says the Con Project, which clearly is right. related to eugenics, something they haven't they didn't explore it yet. They haven't told us what that means. Well, that's in be. there. <laughs> I mean, what else would it be? Yeah, if it's right? not, then somebody screwed up, really. Yeah. But even in the most recent series, Strange New Worlds, which you mentioned, George, earlier, amazing mm-hmm. series, there's still talking about is showing ripples of oh, that. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, Una's character, right? When you find out that she's augmented. Mm-hmm. Right. And how this was illegal and it was made illegal because of Khan and his time. That's re- there you go. That's right. That re- revelation <laughs> that comes out and how that's like, and it's not a minor thing. No, it, no. It's like, it's huge. It was an interesting way to write the character out of the storyline because it's one of the things that people who love Star Trek talk about all the time, how the female first officer didn't make it past that first pilot into the second pilot. Now Mm -hmm. this is how they kind of write that character out (laughs) of the storyline. It was interesting to do it. There's a reason for that now. Yeah. Yeah. And do it with the most beloved storyline in Star Trek history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not just that character. I mean, she is related because she had was eugenically modified somehow. But there's another main character in that series, Strange New Worlds, La'an Nuni and Singh. She's a direct (laughs) descendant of Khan. So I have a problem with this character. Okay. You're going to get rid of the first officer because she's been genetically modified. Right. And that's illegal because of Khan and the eugenic Mm -hmm. wars. How is a direct descendant allowed in Starfleet? She obviously carries the same genetic <laughs> markers because she's a descendant of Khan. But he just he had sex with a common person, and so you know it's fine. It's a couple of generations <laughs> down too, so, well, you know, so it's, it's, it's a hybrid. It's a, oh, it's diluted after time. Yeah. Right. Well, and uh, I mean, I don't know that they've explained it yet, but I'm kind of trying to figure out like, did he have a first wife on Earth before they went off on the Botany Bay, which? How did we not touch on the Botany Bay being Australian and Australia being a an a island that was originally with prisoners, with prisoners yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's because this is this is not a seven hour podcast because there's so much we <laughs> could have talked about you're right I mean yeah. come on look at look at Khan you know he got around man come on superior Listen, intellect superior right. genes that He's, guy was laying it down let me tell he you did, he, he was did a have player. Star Trek women throwing themselves at him left and right that's uh, true green or otherwise take that Kirk right. <laughs> <laughs> you know we're laughing now and you know we got through the death scene and all uh, one of the funniest references I've seen 
to this film was in Lower Decks. I love Lower Decks. It's a fun <laughs> animated oh, it's series. Great. I really, when we first heard about Lower Decks coming out, I was hoping it was going to be based on the TNG episode Lower Decks, mm-hmm. but I'm so happy it wasn't. This is awesome. They have this little argument about who the best villain was in Starfleet's history. And Boimler <laughs> and Mariner are going at it. And Boimler picks the guy who was like a space pirate in season one of Next Gen that he transports off his ship to fake out that he's dead and they mm-hmm. pick him up and everything. And she's like, dude, Khan was a genetically engineered supervillain. He was a space sea, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Lower Decks does such a good job of if you're a super fan, they give you these little breadcrumbs that are super funny and you're not a super fan. They're still just funny because the argument itself is just funny. You kind of get the gist of it, but it so pays off and they're continuing to pay back to Spacey, back to Wrath of Khan, back to those characters, back to the film that without hyperbole resurrected and invigorated a franchise that could easily have dropped off into obscurity. Yep, absolutely. The writers, directors, everyone continues to pay back to that. And that's what we have done in this backtrack is to pay respect back to this film that... Maybe one of the best sci-fi films. Definitely probably the best Star Trek film. You argued at the beginning, George, maybe just one of the best films, Mm -hmm. period. Well-structured, holds up. Short of breaking into Mark II of this episode and launching into the (laughs) next segment we can talk about. Every Uh, time you say something, I think of 30 things. There are more things that we can talk about. I know. I know. I'm going to do something unprecedented here. I'm going to make one more call. Last call before we wind this up. Mm. We all have passionate thoughts about the Rathicon. Anything else that you would like to get across how important it is to you or to fandom for me i said i saw the original one in the theater and special effects were awesome but i was like eh. and then like after seeing this one i was like okay this is star trek you know like, this is star trek it's, yeah it's i get it now so when next gen came around that suddenly was something to look forward to mm. whereas before it'd be like yeah they're doing another star trek spinoff or something like that but now it's like oh this is what you could do with this franchise for me personally it just reinvigorated my whole interest in it and george it is in your top five royal mm-hmm. i know you you probably have in the chamber a million comments so <laughs> if you could distill it down what, what, what is it what is it for in you other words, why fair. in other why words shut so the much? fuck up right right we can't don't talk another, another 30 hours. minutes right exactly right it, it, it's just tough i know and i acknowledge it how do you yeah. distill that down what it means i think you? um i'll say it this way i've watched thousands of films in my life i love mm-hmm. movies john you know i watch and yep. rewatch films i dig into a um Star Trek II Wrath of Khan still to this day I don't even have to see the movie I can just think about it and it's the only film that still just even just thinking about it makes me cry that's weight that's heft that's something there man Mm. Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan happy 40th birthday to this amazing film so much more we could talk about, but our fourth listeners, we're going to leave that up to you. There's something we missed about the <laughs> Wrath of Khan. We would love for you to write in and let us know what you thought of this episode or how the film impacted you as a fan, if it did at all. That, though, is going to wrap it up for our attempt to pay respect <laughs> to this amazing film from 1982. We will be back in a couple of weeks. Don't you worry. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here, man. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Oh, man, always fun. Fourth listener, it's a you we all appreciate most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Podcast, can you do about this film? Oh, never mind. Somebody moved it already. We down. Okay. Well, I just moved it down a little bit because I'm not sure if we need to get to it, like you were saying. Yeah. Okay. No, I was I, f- I was saying that as a segue into it because we were dead. Oh, I'm there. sorry. Oh, oh shit. Okay. I I think that's perfect. Please do that. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. 
tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.